Well, hello once again. Pastor Brown here with you. Just hoping that you've had you a wonderful, wonderful week. I've enjoyed my week. Been getting some of my honeydew work out of the way and just doing it little by little. Uh, it's amazing how much you can get done if you just stay consistent little by little by little. It'll get there. And uh, for some of you husbands that are a little bit behind, I'll pray for you. Because it's something to try to keep up with them honeydew list during the summertime. Uh, uh, it should have been done yesterday, you know that? Um, and that's the pressure I'm under sometimes. It should have been done a day or two ago, but just getting to it. But uh, God has been gracious and he gives my wife mercy and grace that she bestows upon me and gives me a little freedom and uh, we get to it, so we're still working on our deck, and uh, I got to put some new railing around, uh, just some other things out in the yard that has to be done, but we're slowly getting there. But um, it's good to be able to uh, work together and do things together and laugh together and, and just enjoy life together, and uh, I just praise God for that. But uh, we're going to continue on in the area of that judgment seat of Christ. That we was on last week, and uh, we want to just uh, pick up on it. And last week we really talked a little bit more in depth about that. Our goal is to really please the Lord, and uh, that's what He really tells us in that verse nine. So we make it our goal to please Him. But we're going to get a little bit more into the meat of that message of verse ten, uh, because we understand that yes, our goal really is to live a life in such a manner. That we're pleasing to God and uh, we bring a joy to his heart. And I pray that uh, even your earthly children, that uh, as you have relationship with your children, I know for my children, uh, we just are just thrilled with them. Uh, we have time of laughter together. Uh, we just enjoy each other's company and kind of like kind of mirrors what I believe God wants where he can just sit and talk with us and laugh with us and uh, just enjoy himself. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing that um, our relationship, sometime when we have a biblical relationship with our wife and our children, is not much different than the relationship we have with the Lord. So uh, I pray that uh, you'll open your ears and open your heart and We'll receive God's word together here as we go through this area. Uh, why the judgment and uh, why we all have to be there. Um, so we're going to look at that. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for your word and that your word is a light unto our path and your word enlightens us upon your truth that we can know what to expect to a certain degree. And that your word, O oh God, it continues to improve our lives. It continues, O oh God, to show us how to live correctly and what to expect. And we pray, Father, as we look into your word today, that, Lord, you might minister to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. May your word move in us, O oh God, in a manner which is never done before. May we be blessed by your word, and may your word bring about the transformation in our life that you so desire, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Now, we know that uh, we won't hit the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat until uh, the rapture has taken place. So it will follow somewhat the rapture. But uh, the Bema seat was a place where the judge sat on a raised platform and gave out the rewards to those who won in the competition, the Olympics and so forth that they had back in those days. The wrestling matches, the running matches, uh, whatever it was, uh, he gave out the rewards. Because everybody recognized it took training and it took some work. And there were rewards given. And Jesus illustrates that even with us, that there's going to be rewards given to us. Everybody may not get a reward. We're all competing in this race, but we're all not going to be first in this race. And uh, there's going to be those who are going to be great, and there are those who are going to be least. And that's all within the kingdom of God. But it also depends on how you go about it, what effort you put into it. And my question to you is this, how much effort do you put in living the Christian life? Are you really serious about it? Do you really go at it? Or is it just, mm -hmm, I'm saved and it don't much matter how I live from this point on. Uh, the judgment seat has its purpose. Yes, our goal is to please God. That's our main goal. But he tells us that all, all who are saved will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all appear, everyone, everyone who's ever named that name of Jesus Christ, everyone who is saved by Christ, everyone who is looking to the cross in the Old Testament, and everyone who's looking back at the cross, all who are saved, and there's no other way to be saved other than Jesus Christ. And we will give an account for the life that we live. Why? Why do we give an account? Christ, when he died on that cross, he paid a price for our sin. But he also paid a price to purchase us to be able to work in our life. And just like on that cross, he surrendered his life. That we might have life. When we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, we surrender our life for a different life that Jesus Christ gives unto us. And he has that right to expect a different life from us. And you and I have to come to a place to recognize, as Paul said, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ. But Christ liveth in me. And we have to come to that point that we are dying to ourselves. That Christ might live. 
as he is manifested in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because we need to really understand that it is not our life anymore. And it really is his. And we have to come to that place to accept that. Because we fight with that issue. Whose life is it? If you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life and you have been very sincere in accepting him and asking him to come and rule and reign in your life, then you are a new creature or you are a different person or you are becoming a different person because of the work that he's doing in your life. He says, in chapter 6, he says, in verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That's where God's dwelling at, here, in us. And that's a reality for the Christian. God really does dwell in us. We become his temple, his housing. But he goes on, he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. Now, catch this next little statement. You are not your own. You need to underline those five little words. You are not your own. Those are some important words. And you need to allow those words to constantly be in your mind, constantly going over them again and again, and stating to yourself again and again, especially in some circumstances where you think you have a right about this and a right about that, and you should be doing this, and nobody's going to do this to this, you need to remind yourself, you are not your own. The moment you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes responsible for you. He becomes responsible to you and you become responsible to him because you are no longer your own. He really is your master and you are the slave in a sense. And you are now living for Christ, not for self, but for Christ. And he just makes it so clear. You are not your own. Why? You were bought at a price. Where did he purchase you at? At Calvary. He paid the price for you on Calvary. He took your death and he died. The death that you should have died. That you might live the life that he would desire you to live. And he goes, he says, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your body. So at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be judged on how we stewardshiped this body, how we took care of this body, how we took care of this life that the Lord gave to us. Because he gave us this life and he has bought it for us. And it's a complete different life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are now passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And we need to understand that. 
No longer is it you that liveth, but Christ liveth in you. And he's demonstrating a new life. Now you're the one who has to be willing to surrender. And that's what part of the judgment seat of Christ is about. How well did you surrender to him? What did you do in this body? Enough what you could have done, would have done, the things you wish you could have done, is talks about what you have done. That's what you're going to be judged on. What you have done. Not all the other stuff. And it's going to be different for each and every one of us. Because some of us have done some great things for the Lord. And some of us haven't done duly wit. We haven't done a thing. But yet you're saved. And there is some shame in that. And the scripture will talk to that. But we understand that we will be judged for the life that we lived. From the time we met Christ to the time we see him face to face. Now, when you go in the scripture back in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10, I want you to again just let's take the step by step of this verse for a little bit. He says, for we must all appear as everyone. Everybody who's ever accepted Christ will appear here at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what's the purpose of it? That each one may receive what is due him. So, as a steward, you get rewarded for what you've done and also about what you have not done. Now, it's not about you being saved or unsaved here. Everybody that's here at the judgment seat of Christ is saved. It's about what you've done from the time that you've been saved, how you lived this Christian life, how you went after the things that God has shown you. It's about your attitude, your heart. It's about the way in which you live. You're the steward of your Christian life in a sense. With the Holy Spirit teaching you how to steward it. How to perform. How to live it. But God, when you become saved, does not take away your free will. You still have important decisions to make as the Holy Spirit presents life to you in a different manner. And you're the one that has to say yay or nay. You're the one that has to perform or not perform. You're the one that has to do. And we need to realize that. And therefore he says, there's something due you because you've accepted this Christian life. What you did with it 
whether successful or not too successful, whatever it may be. He says there's something due you for what you've done from the time you've accepted Christ to the time in which you're going to see Christ at this judgment seat of Christ. Uh, everyone may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. Not while you're in heaven, but while you're in this earthly body, this earthly tabernacle, while you're alive today as a Christian. That's what you're going to be judged on. How you live this life and how you glorified Christ with this life. For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, he's going to judge his on both. The good things and the bad things. Not just the good. Now, the bad things here are not going to send you to hell. They've already been paid for. But you will lose a reward. You will lose something. Because you did not give it your all. You will lose something. Because you really didn't live for Christ. You're going to lose something. Sometimes we think in heaven we're all just going to be there. And we all get the same. And we're all just this, this and that. No. There's going to be different. I don't want to say levels in heaven. But different degrees of rewards. And because of certain rewards are given. Maybe certain privileges also might be given. I don't know. But the thing is, there's going to be a response by the Trinity, by God, differently upon what you've done and how you've lived. And he said, that's why it's due. It's due you. You're the one that's earned it. And he's the one who gives it. Now, what we need to recognize also is that because I'm saved doesn't mean everything I do is good. I can't say that enough. And I'm trying to find ways right now to say this. But there's a lot of bad Christians. They're saved. But they're not really honoring the Lord. They're not the noble ones of Christianity. They are the worst of the worst in Christianity. But they're saved. And they really bring shame to the name of Christ. And they really hurt the gospel rather than enhance it and show the reality and the real power of the gospel. Maybe that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because Paul recognized the power of the gospel because it was that power that changed his life. That changed his life. Maybe that's why Augusta, who was a womanizer, that the gospel changed his life understood also the power of it. But there are those today who 
have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, but really don't know the real power of the gospel in setting them free from sin, and they're still bound in their sin, and they're still living as though they did not have a new life. Although they have a new life, a fresh start, because Christ has paid for their past life, but they're bankrupting their new life. And that's going to be hard for some people to receive. But there are those who are saved. And yet, they are dishonoring the Lord. And we'll get into that a little bit more when we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul says, he's going to give you what is due to you. Now, let's look at a few verses here. Because what we want to talk about is the rewards. Can they be lost? Uh, and we're going to see what scripture says about that. But one thing is we can be confident of is that Christ is coming with his rewards. Go back to Revelations 22. And it's strange where we find this at. It's in chapter 22 of Revelations. Just about after everything is done and so forth. But he, he he makes this statement that when he comes, he comes with his reward. So in 22.12, he says, Behold, I am coming soon. And, and, and his word soon is an assurance that he's coming. It's not in our time. But in God's time, it hasn't been long. And he says, he's coming soon. And he says, my reward is with me. Those rewards he's going to hand out or give out to his saints, to his people. He says, they're coming with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. What is due you, you're going to get it. Whether it's for good or bad, you're going to get it. You've earned it. If you earned a zero, you'll get a zero. Remember the teacher with a test could only give you the grade in which you worked at. If you earned a A, you got the A. If you got if you earned a B, you got the B. If you earned the D, you got the D. If you earned the F, you got the F. But yet you all in that same classroom learning from that same teacher. In one sense, we're all in that same classroom learning from one teacher, the Holy Spirit, with one textbook, the Bible. Now, he says he's coming with his rewards. Go to Second, First Corinthians chapter 9. Because, see, we're all running in a race. But we all got to act like we're running in a race. Some people don't know that they're in a race, in a sense. Uh, there's no use running a 100-yard dash and you're out there to skip to my loo. Or you're just hopping along. I mean, you got to really be putting the effort in there to run. And people know the difference if you're really putting the effort out there or if you're not. Um, and he tells us here, that, yeah, everybody's in this race. But, boy, 
only one gets the crown. Only one really wins it. And I know today we got first place, second place, third place. But there's only really one winner. The one who crossed that line first. And he tells us. Do you not know in 24, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? We're all running. Everyone who names the name of Christ is like in a race. And we're running for a prize. We're running. And what is expected from us is this. To do our best. To do our best. And some of us not doing our best. We're doing our best living for Satan, but we're not doing our best trying to live for the Lord. And I'm not talking about works here per se or what you do, but it's the surrendering of your life to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit as he directs you. And he says, we're all in a race. You, This is a race you just can't jump out of. You're there. Even if you're running dead last, you're still in this race. How well you run depends on you. How well you run depends on you. He says, but only one gets the prize. Run. Run. In such a way as to get the prize. Run after the prize. Put a real effort out there. Go after it. It's not to say you can't win, but you're not trying to win. You're not trying to really live the Christian life. You're just doing your thing and not God's thing. And you want to compete. You really want to be out there running. Because Jesus is coming with his rewards. Now go over to Matthew chapter 6 because in, in Matthew 6 he shows us somewhat the attitude. Because one of the things that's going to be judged is not just our effort that we put in to running this Christian life. But our attitude. What is your attitude about the things of the Lord? Uh how do you really see it? Is God very valuable to you? Is, is living for the Lord Jesus Christ, is that important to you? Do you have a sincerity about that? So in six nineteen and 20, it's somewhat of our attitude that has to show up here. So in verses 19 and 20, he says, Do not store up your do not store up for yourself. That's an attitude. Are you selfish? Is it just about you? And that's where a lot of Christians fail. It's just about their pleasure and what they want. And the only time they really call upon God is when a real crisis takes place. It's not an everyday thing. It's not an ongoing thing throughout the day. It's only when they're in trouble. There's a crisis that takes place. They're sorry about this. They're sorry. And they want God to intervene. They want God to smooth the road. They want God to work something out for them. 
That's the only time they get a little bit serious and is not really serious then. It's the guilt that's beating them up. It's the shame that's beating them up. Because many of them will talk about changing and they don't change because they think they have to change themselves rather than allowing the word to change. And when you find somebody is really serious about repentance and want to change, they get into this word. They get into God's word because you cannot change without the word. You cannot change without the Holy Spirit applying the word of God to your life and helping to make application of how you are to live it. You can't change because you can't make the application. But the Holy Spirit can for each and every one of us. He knows how to bring the word before us and say, this is what you have need of. Do it. And again, he comes to that place and he just says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Where at? On earth. Not, not in heaven. You're trying to get all you can get where at? Here on earth. And he says, for a moth and rust destroy. So what you think you're gathering here on earth and what you're doing with what you're doing here on earth, he says, it's going to be destroyed. Understand this. You can't take it with you. You can go buy a brand new car this week and die the day after you buy that car, but you can't take it with you. You can go buy a brand new house, but you can't take it with you. And he says, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up to yourself, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. He's not saying don't work and store up, but it's where you're going to put it. If you ain't storing up for earthly life, you're not going to enjoy it. But if you store up for an eternal life that is in heaven, you're going to enjoy this life. And he simply says, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. So it's an attitude. Is it here on earth or is my treasure really in heaven? And he says, where moth and rust do not destroy, for what you do for the Lord is not going to be without reward. It won't be destroyed. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, now catch this, for where your treasure is, there's your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. That's your attitude. Boy, that you really want to store up a treasure in heaven for the glory of God. Now, there will be also rewards that are lost. Remember, Jesus said he come with his rewards because he's going to give out what is due or what you have earned. Go to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11. Because there's times in which we can lose 
justify what we're doing, but we don't sometimes think about that because our minds are not on God. They're not on heavenly things. And he says in that 311, he says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have. You got a good thing going in, in loving the Lord, trusting the Lord, and your faith is growing, and you're doing good works. Hold on to that. Don't allow something to discourage you. Uh, don't allow Satan to rob you of what you're doing for the Lord by telling you it don't matter. You're not going to ever get anywhere by doing it that way. Do it God's way. Hold on. Stay at it. And he simply tells us, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. That no one would take your crown. No one would take your reward. You know, you can think in a race that you're ahead of somebody else and you're just doing all. And all of a sudden you get relaxed for a moment. And you just slow up. One of the things they used to tell you in the 100 yard dash, don't never turn around trying to see who's behind you. Don't try to look back. Because the moment you're looking back with somebody's passing you. Your goal is to get across that finish line. And he says, don't allow somebody else to take your crown. Don't allow it. Be watchful. Be steadfast. Always abounding in the things of the Lord. You need to stay at it. And you will be rewarded for it. Stay at it. And don't worry about what the other guy is doing. You run your race. Stay in your lane. And keep focused on what's ahead of you. And what God is showing you. And run after it with all your heart and all your might. Now, we need to do that. Now, there will be those loss of rewards. Because we get our attitude all mixed up. We get over here, we get over there, and we're seeing different things. And we allow people to distract us. And we lose something. Now, go over to Second John. Second John. Verse 8, because, again, he's going to talk about these rewards. He says, get here in this verse 8. Watch. Very first word, watch. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for. Watch out. And that's a warning. That you do not lose that which you have worked for. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for. But that you may be rewarded fully. Don't get your eyes off over here and over there. Satan has a way of distracting us. 
Keep your eyes on the things of the Lord. Keep your eyes on your spiritual growth. Keep your eyes on your faithfulness. Keep your eyes on your obedience. Keep your eyes on how you encourage other people. Keep your eyes on what your hands find to do and do it with all your heart and all your might. Keep watch over your life. That you don't drift. You don't allow some man to sneak in. If you're a godly woman, Satan will try to destroy you with someone that you think may be godly and they're not. Don't get distracted by some man or by your feelings. Men, don't you get distracted by something that's beautiful. Boy, gorgeous. You would have never thought a beautiful woman like this would pay you any attention. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted with your promotions. Praise God, because promotion comes from God. But don't get to thinking, oh boy, that you're all this and you're all that and, and you really earned this and you really deserve this. No. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That helps keep you on track because you know where it comes from. It comes from God. God's blessed you. And he says, boy, again, watch, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for because it's so easily lost. And remember what scripture said, Satan's out to rob. He's out to rob your reward. He's out to rob from you. He's out to rob your inheritance. He's out to rob you from doing what God desires you to do, that he may truly bless you. And we need to be very much aware of that. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at verses 14 and 15 in 1 Corinthians. Because he tells us there are those who will lose. But yet they're still saved. And sometimes we get hung up on this. I want you to read verses 14 and verse 15 with me. He says, If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If what you're doing, and if it's really for the Lord, it's going to survive. And he promised you that what you've done, there's going to be a reward. But he says, If it's burned up. If what you've done has been done in the wrong attitude, in the wrong manner, and it really doesn't bring glory to God, yes, you've been working, but it's not for the Lord. It was for self to be seen, for self to be heard, for self to be patted on the back, for self-esteem for yourself, not for the glory of God. He says, if it is burned up, because only God really knows the heart and why you're doing what you're doing. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. And he's talking about the person who's doing the work. Yes, there's going to be something that you've been working at, but was in the wrong attitude, without the right heart, with not what God would really have you to do. Whatever it may be, he says, boy, when it was tested, it was burned up. 
And he says, that person will suffer loss. But he himself or herself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Only as one escaping. You're, you're, you're saved. You're saved because Christ saved you. And he's delivered you. But there's nothing that you've really done in a manner that really glorifies him. We're going to get to the things that may hinder that. And we'll talk about it a little bit. But in Matthew 10, 42, he says, and we want to really take a good look at this for a moment in 10, Matthew 10. And keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 3 because we're going to come back to that. <clears throat> to Matthew 10, 42, he said, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth. He will certainly not lose his reward. He will not lose, but if it, but he tells you you will not lose it. But there's a possibility it can be lost because the issue is you will not lose it. The word not would not be there, not lose it, if there was not a way for it to be lost. And yet this person is doing something. But are they doing it with the right heart, the right attitude, the willingness, and the obedience of it? Or are we doing it grudgingly? Are we doing it with anger? Are we doing it because, boy, I just want to show off and show people how I can do things. No. What we do, we do in obedience of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Lord might be glorified. That's how we do it. And he says, I tell you the truth. He will certainly not lose his reward. Now, in First John 2.28, there's that area of shame also, that we do things... And there's that shame that follows sometimes because we really realize that I haven't done this for the real glory of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I've done this for all the wrong reasons. And there's that shame that comes and and and, and you want to guard against that. In 1 John 2 and verse 28 he says, And now dear children, Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident. What does he want you to have? Confidence. Confidence of what? That you're competing. Confident that you're running well. Confident that you have a good chance of getting this reward. Confidence in him. Confidence in yourself. As the Holy Spirit ministered to you and you see yourself growing in the Lord, that you have confidence. And he goes on and he says in 2.28, get these eyes adjusted again. And now, dear children, continue in him. Where at? 
in Christ, in him, being obedient to him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed. What? Unashamed. How many Christians are going to be ashamed when they stand before Jesus Christ? Ashamed of how they have lived. Ashamed of how they've lied. Ashamed of how they committed adultery after adultery after adultery. Ashamed for the fornication, the fornication. The shame of the way that they stole. They steal over here and they steal this over here. Ashamed of how they have lived a life that they didn't have to live. But for a moment, they enjoyed the pleasures of this world, being saved. For a moment, they lavished themselves with the things of this world, and it's not worth it. Now, pay for your wrongs, we're going to pay for them. From the time you accepted Christ, you will pay for your wrong. Christ has taken care of the issue, whether heaven or hell. So hell is not even in the picture here. Being lost is not in the picture here. If one being separated from God for eternity, that's that's not what it's talking about. But you will pay for the wrong ways in which you have chosen to live. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 25. Colossians chapter 3. 23 through 25. He says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Again, there's the attitude. As working for the Lord, knowing who you work for, you're doing it for the Lord. You're not doing it for self. You're not trying to please men. You are out to please God. That's your goal. And he says, as working for the Lord and not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance or a reward again from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Know who you're serving. Not serving the flesh, but the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not serving that boss at the job. You're really serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. Anyone. Christian, non-Christian. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. So he removes it. There's no favoritism in this. If you do bad, you're going to get what is due you for the bad life that you lived as a Christian. There's no favoritism. If you do good, you're going to get what is due you for doing good. No favoritism. 
But there's a lot of us as Christians who are not at the top of our game when it comes to Christianity. And we could care less if we win or lose until it it hurts. I want to encourage you. Give God your best at all times. Serve the Lord the best you can at all times. And I'm not trying to put myself on some pedestal or something saying that I do this all the time. I have my failures. I have slipped. I have failed. Like Paul, we all can say, if you really examine yourself, I am the chief of sinners. I am the least of the apostles. We can look at ourselves in comparison with Christ and really admit to those things. But it is by the grace of God that I am who I am today. It is by the grace of God that I'm still up and running. It's by the grace of God that I'm still breathing and still have opportunity to serve him and give him my best. And he says, again, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. So we have to give an account for our wrong. And you have to understand that. Now go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19. I haven't forgot about 1 Corinthians chapter 3 yet. 5.19. He says, boy, uh, let me get these how I suggested. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Christians, your behavior is teaching people something. Either you are living in the life that is a blessing and that is correct according to the word of God, or you're not. Uh, You cannot ask your boss to pay you under the table. Why? It goes against the rule of law. It goes against Romans 13. That we should obey the law of the land. It goes against what Peter says. That they should see our good works. And praise God. You cannot do things that are wrong intentionally and purposefully and say, boy, I really am glorifying God. No, you're not. No, we fail in this area terribly sometimes. And in that, he again, he says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teach others to do the same How are you teaching others? Sometimes it's not by word. It's by your action. You say it's okay. Listen to me, young men. You go out here and you father a child. You are saying to another young man, it's okay. It's okay. You go out here and you father two or three children. 
you're saying to some other young man who is watching you, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Even you're bragging about it, talking about it. What you've done with this woman and that woman is teaching the wrong thing. You go out here and you steal from the company that you work for and you get over with it. You walk off with this and you can walk off with that. Eventually it catches up with you, but you're teaching the wrong thing. You're teaching somebody the wrong thing. And a lot of Christians, it's not so much about what the union can say we can do or cannot do. It's about what God's word says we can do. And we need to honor God's word more than we do a union contract or any contract. We honor God's word above it. And we give it our very best. And he says, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are those who are least in the kingdom of heaven. We need to understand that. They have really nothing. You're going to be asking, why are they there? The only reason they're there is because of Jesus Christ. Period. And he goes on and he says, these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Those who follow the commands of God and through their everyday life, the way they live, their attitude, and how they work at things. They're teaching people to honor God with their life. Because it's how you practice living this life. So he says again, anyone who breaks one of these least of these commands and teach others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That's the least. But whoever practice Practice what? The word of God. Who practice living this Christian life. Who practice running after the Lord. Who practice glorifying God. Who practice living this life the way it should be. They're teachers. These commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So you're going to have those who are going to be called great. And you're going to have those that are going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what's going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Are you going to be among the great or are you going to be of the least? Now, go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because we need to see this. Because it's something to understand it but then to own it and it's very important here because it's part of your stewardship he says one for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ so it's already laid for us to do this Christian life has already been laid. The foundations of it is now laid in the person of Christ. Now, he goes on, he says, if any man builds on the foundation, now, we all got to make a choice. Am I going to grow in my faith? Am I going to build the life with the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ wants? The foundation is given. 
The foundation is already there. That's Jesus Christ. I'm building on Christ. The life that I have, I'm building on Christ. Because it's a new life. Now it's my choice of how I'm going to build. He says, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones. Now look how you can build. Now, I want to build with gold and silver and the costly stones. My first choice is to go. I want to build in such a way that it really glorifies God. And it brings value to the kingdom of heaven. And he says, now, there's wood, hay, or straw. Boy, all that's in the house of God. Now, you ever read that story about the three little pigs who went out and they built their home? And they knew there was a bad wolf that comes along and he huffs and he blows and he blew two houses down. But because one person took the time, one of them took the time to build a brick home, he couldn't blow it down. And when you really stand for Christ and you are obedient to Christ, Satan can huff and blow, but he cannot blow your house down because it's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ with the proper material that God would have you to build it with. He says, boy, there are those who will build with hay, straw. Boy. That's a choice. How you build this life. That's the stewardship of this life. That you're going to be judged on. At the judgment seat of Christ. Go over to. Timothy. First Timothy. Second Timothy. I think it's. Uh, Second Timothy. Chapter 2. Second Timothy. Chapter 2. He says. In a large house, in verse 20, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are noble purposes and some are ignoble. Now, everybody is not going to live a noble life and an honorable life that is really pleasing to God. Not that you could not, you choose not to. And I want to encourage you to do it because you can through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's close out with this. Jesus is not going to be the only one who judges you. Jesus is not going to be the only one who judges you. Turn with me if you would to John 5.30 because sometimes... We think Jesus will be the only one who's going to judge us. No, he's not. But his judgment is true because of who he is. He says in 530. Why? Get my eyes there. By myself, I can do nothing. And that's even judging. Doesn't choose to do it that way. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. For I speak not to please myself, 
but him who sent me. See, there's somebody else involved in this judgment. The Father. I don't judge in a manner to please myself. So he takes himself somewhat out of that area. And the Father is included. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. There's that area of agreement in the Godhead. And the Father is there also in this judgment. Turn just a couple pages over to 813, chapter 8, and verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I come from and where I'm going. I know where I've come from and where I'm going. But he comes on down and at verse 18 he simply says, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father. My other witness is the Father. My other witness. So it's not just Jesus giving witness to our life, but it's also the Father that is giving witness to our life. And judgment comes that we will receive what is due us. Not just from one, but from both. Now, two main things as we close here. Matthew 25. I want you to really take a look at this and really consider it. And I'm just going to drop it in your ear and hopefully into your heart also. Because at the judgment seat, we're being judged over these two elements. How I personally handled my personal Christian life and how I also personally handled my personal labor for the Lord. My personal one is me. This inner me. How I stewards in teaching this and 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 denying this fleshly body and doing the things that I needed to do to allow the faith to grow in this body, in this mind, in this heart. But then the labor that I do is what is outward. One is inward, one is outward. So in 25, the ten virgins, you see that five of them were responsible for themselves to have enough oil, to have enough until Christ came. They labored. They had to carry their extra. But they had to do more inwardly. 
And sometimes when you work on yourself, that's labor. That's work. That's constraint. That's going after it, pushing yourself. But that's all working inwardly, building that inner man, allowing the Holy Spirit to develop that new life. But you have to participate with him and work with him. That's your personal work with the Holy Spirit. How well do you submit to him? How well do you follow his leads? How well do you allow him to teach you this word and you have it up here in here? Then when you get to the talents, it's that outward experience. It's not about what's happening inside. It's about what you're doing outside. There's your labor. There's your work. And we find that there were those that he gave and they went out and put their money to work. What he gave them. He put it to work. What God gave you, or have you put it to work? That's your labor. God's given you abilities. God's given you talents. God's given you the ability to do things outside, not just for yourself, but for many other people. And that's what God's looking at. And those two things are going to be judged. How you handled your personal how you steward your personal life as a Christian and how you stewardship your labor, your work for the Lord. Yes, the judgment seat is a very important part for Christians to understand because most of us don't take much time to look at it because all we're saying, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. Yes, you are. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to heaven. But understand this. As a servant of Christ, you're going to be judged on how well you served the kingdom of heaven and your master and Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to be judged on that and you will receive what is due you and what you've done in this body, you will receive it. Because Jesus says, his rewards come with him. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Remember that. It is not your life. It's his life that you're stewarding. It's his life that you want to glorify and not your own. I hope somehow that we've been able to say some things to cause you to think and take a second look at some things and really I uh, hope you go back and look at some of the scriptures and allow you and the Holy Spirit to talk about them. It's important that you know that one day you will have to give an account for this life. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you that, Lord, you don't catch us by surprise. But you tell us up front that we're going to give an account for this Christian life that you have purchased for us. And we pray, Father, that we would take it very seriously. And that, Lord, that you would help us. Give us the strength to really run this race. 
Give us, O oh God, what is necessary for us to surrender to you our very best. And for us, Lord, who may not take it very seriously and we're not really out to honor you, we're more about ourselves. Would you help us come to that place where we die to ourselves and totally surrender to you? Would you do the work that only you're capable of doing? We can't change ourselves, but you can change us. We cannot transform ourselves, but you can transform us, Lord. We can't even love you the way you would desire us to love you unless you give us that love, Lord, a copy love to love you. Would you work in our hearts that we might be the men and women that you have called to honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. May God keep you. May you have another wonderful week and continue to remember you're not your own. You've been bought with a price and one day you will give an account for it. Amen. God bless you. God keep you. Bye-bye.